Well, I'm really privileged to be, come back and preach again in this wonderful church. Uh, I was trying to remember if I'd ever been invited back anywhere before, and uh, so I'm going to at least count this uh, as an invite back. I also was impressed to hear that you had Brian Chapel just recently. Two weeks ago, I was speaking somewhere up. It was up actually in Philadelphia. And Dan Doriani was speaking first, then there was me, and then there was Brian Chapel. You know, so you got these two giants and a midget in the middle. And uh, I was thinking to myself, it really doesn't bother me to follow people that are better than me. Never has. In fact, I hired both of those people. And uh, I made a career out of hiring people better than myself and getting out of their way. Uh, that's how I was successful in the first place. But uh, glad that you had Brian Chapel and... Now uh, you're going to have me. <laughs> you did hear that uh, Bruce Owens is here with me. We do these weekends, uh, and they are really stewardship weekends. Uh, I love to preach on stewardship because I believe it. And then this is the 29th year that we've been doing these estate gift and design seminars, which you will have directly after this service in this sanctuary between the two morning services if you would stay. As well, tomorrow night, there will be a um, seminar with the supper, and uh, you can sign up at a table right out here for that. Uh, I will tell you that uh, the um, publicity has probably not been that great, you know, so you might not have heard about it. You should take, your adva take advantage of this. I'll tell you why. You see me. Uh, I just turned 79 two weeks ago, so I'm getting up there. I won't tell you how old Bruce is, but he's old too. Not as old as me, but he's old. And we've been doing this for 29 years. It's a gift to the church. It's not a fundraiser for Mission of the World. We actually started it at Covenant Seminary. And why do we do it? Because nobody else does. Everybody else is trying to get money for their ministry and so on. This is purely a ministry to you. No, you will never be asked for a penny not for Mission of the World, nor for First Presbyterian Church of Augusta. Our people need help with their estates. You will actually give more money away after you die than during your entire lifetime. Most of us will. So please take advantage of this and don't let it go. And maybe you've done it before. You need to do it again. I've done it three times. My wife, who we've only been married 12 years, and she, she's done it since we got married twice. Um, so uh, it's... Uh, it really is a special gift for you. I'll say this in, in closing, uh, this little commercial, I'm sorry about it, but um, we, we've never received a complaint from a church, and we've been, gone to some churches four times. Uh, we've never received a complaint from a church or from an individual. It really is what we say it is. So take advantage of it, if you will. Now, our text, of course, is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 9. And uh, while you're turning there, I'll tell you a little story about a, about a fellow, uh, Don. Don uh, was a man, he was a little up in age, and he had a little bit of a problem with his heart and so on. Dolores' wife, while Don was out for, for um, errands one day, uh, received uh, word that, that um, he had... Uh, that Don had, had received um, $400, uh, $400 he wasn't expecting. 
Well, he was out on an errand, and so Dolores was a little concerned because when he got back, she was going to have to tell him that, and because of this heart that wasn't quite as strong as it ought to be, she was afraid it might impact him and in a bad way, and so she called the pastor. Pastor Dr. Barker, she called him and said, Dr. Barker, I've got this problem. I don't know how to do it, deal with it. He said, I'll come, come right over. I'll help you. So he was there waiting for Don with Dolores when, when uh, Don got back, and so he wanted to kind of be gentle about this whole thing, and he said, Don, what would you do if you received all of a sudden $400,000. And Don said, well, you know, I think I would, uh, I would pay off our mortgage and I would pay off some of the other bills we have and I'd put a little aside, you know, for a rainy day and that would take about $200,000 and then the other $200,000, I, um, I think I'd give it to the church. And Dr. Barker dropped over on the floor they weren't sure if he fainted or what. Hopefully that was it. But uh, he was the one that had the problem and not Don that day. Uh, if you remember when I preached one time before on stewardship, I start with a joke. And there's a reason for that. The only sermons I ever start with a joke are is sermons on stewardship. And I'll tell you why. Because we don't know what to do with stewardship in the church. It makes us a little nervous. It makes us a little uncomfortable. In fact, if you knew that I had been preaching on stewardship day, this place would be empty. There wouldn't be anybody here. We don't like to talk about money, but God likes to talk about money. And I wonder why. I wonder why in the Bible there is more talk about stewardship than there's about heaven and hell combined, for instance. Or why 11 out of 30 parables that Jesus told are on our material blessings and how we deal with them. 11 out of 30. I, I think I know. Uh, right now I'm doing my own personal devotions in, in Galatians. And I haven't gotten very far yet because I just started. I'm only on my second day. But uh, right in the salutation, Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia and he says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then these words, Who gave himself for our sin, why? To deliver us from this present evil age. Now what are the blessings of the present evil age? They're simple, I can tell you. They are power and uh, they are pleasure and they are money. Power, pleasure and money. Now, all those things are powerful. You know why? Because God invented them all. God invented a world where we need direction, where we need people that are in charge and all, because God is in charge. And God is not against pleasure. In fact, heaven is going to be endless pleasure. And, and even resources. Who gave and produced everything that we have? God did. But of course, those powerful gifts of God can become idols in our life. And they become the things in this present evil age that people worship. Power, people want power. You see it everywhere. Watch the television, read, read your newspaper. Um, and, and pleasure, we even talked about it already. Endless pleasure in the service. And money especially, why? Well, because you can buy the other two if you have enough money. 
And God is concerned about that because he does not want us focused on this present evil age. By the way, the present evil age began with Adam and Eve, if you want to know what it's talking about in the Bible. It's about this time when man has rejected God, worshipped himself, and Christ, as Galatians said, has come into this world to deliver us from that bondage, that slavery to this present evil age. And God does not want us to live there. And so one of the ways in which he helps us is by teaching us how we are to use the blessings that God has given us, how we are to deal with our stewardship and so on. And so as we look at the scriptures here, let me read to you our text this morning, which is 2 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all time, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his, righteous, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let us pray. Father, as we examine this passage of Scripture now, we would pray for your Holy Spirit. We do believe that this is your Holy Word. And we believe that it comes with power because it was your spirit that inspired Paul to write these words in the first place. That same spirit now lives within us. And so, will you, through your spirit, speak to us through these words as we study it this morning in worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first read this passage a long time ago, God loves a cheerful giver. So nobody should give because he thinks he has to give. Nobody should give because it's a duty uh, or anything like that. But rather, give as you want because God loves a cheerful giver. And I thought to myself, I wonder how you become a cheerful giver. I, I've got to be a cheerful giver. God wants me to be a cheerful giver. And it became, in a way, kind of a works. I wonder how I can get more cheerful about my giving. I don't think that's an emphasis. I really don't. You know what I think the real emphasis is? The real emphasis is that God wants you to be like him. God wants you to be a cheerful giver because he wants you to be like him. God is a cheerful giver. Um, and God, uh, God is always giving in fact, we exist because of that. Jonathan Edwards said, everything is an extension of God's love. What existed when nothing existed? God. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God the Father loved the Son. And God the Son loved the Father, and the Father and the Son loved the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have that kind of love, and the Bible is called agape love, it's always love going that direction, never this direction. It's always dispensing love. It's not, never consuming love. 
Well, what are you going to do if you've got that kind of love? You're going to push it out. And so God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit pushed it out beyond themselves. That's creation. You see, it was God's cheerful giving, if you will, that created everything that we see, our own lives, and everything that we have is an extension of God's giving, of his cheerful giving. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, what did he say? He said, began our Father. It's your Father in heaven who loved you before the foundation of the world. It's that God who had an eternal plan for you. And he chose you, why? Because he wanted you to be like him. He wanted you to be like him. Ephesians 5.1 says this, Be imitators of God as his beloved children. Be imitators of God as his beloved children. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, God, by his divine power, granted to us life so that we might escape the world and share in God's divine nature. We don't talk like that very often, do we? (laughs) That God wants us to share in his nature. But that's the whole point of what I'm trying to say. God wants you to be like him, and that's why he wants you to be a cheerful giver. God loves to be generous. Day before yesterday, I was coming back from our cottage, and I'd been up there with my daughter's dog. It's a little schnauzer, and um, it's the cutest little thing, and and it likes us a lot. And uh, it wants to ride in your lap, but I had it over in the passenger seat, but I came to a stoplight, so I stopped, and the dog thought, oh, hey, great, now I can get over there. And so it got up on the console, and it was just looking at me, you know, and I was petting it, and And all of a sudden, I looked at that dog, and I said, you know, what a gift from God. Just that little dog, you know, what a pleasure. I got home, and I told Sandy about it, and Sandy said, yeah, and remember this, Paul. He didn't have to give you that dog. He wanted to. He wanted to. I'd been out hiking the day before, and the leaves are all falling down, and uh, I like to look at the leaves and just see what trees are around, you know, so I could see that there was a black oak, uh, and there's a white oak, and there's a chestnut oak, uh, and uh, um, there's a uh, blackjack oak, and, and, and I know the oak trees, you know. But have you ever thought about it? God could make a world where there's just one oak tree. I mean, why do you make all kinds of oak trees? It's just because that's his nature. He's just, he's benevolent. He, he likes to throw it out there. That's the God we have. And as I was walking, you know, a lot of the trees are up in the mountains, and a lot of the trees are turning, and, and there's reds, and there's yellows, and there's goldens, and there's green, too. I mean, all those colors, a kaleidoscope of colors. And Sandy's always reminding me of this. She's always saying, you know, Paul, God could have made a black and white world. But he didn't, did he? No. No, not our God. He doesn't make any black and white worlds. He just loves, again, to throw it out there, all those colors. And if you think about those colors, what are they? I mean, why are they? They're just for your pleasure because they're not doing any good. The the leaves are dying. The color comes out when the leaves are dying. But it's there just for you to enjoy, just for you to see. That's our God. That's the bountiful pleasure of our God. 
sharing all of that with us. The triune God is all about sharing. And if we think about it, there's nothing more generous than our own salvation. The incarnation, God the creator of all, becomes part of his creation. And not just part of our creation, but a helpless babe, baby in a, in, a, in a manger. What humbling God did to save us. And then the cross, what a sacrifice. What a sacrifice. We don't really understand the agony of the cross. When we hear those words, we can get a glimpse of it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? The impossible is happening right at that moment. The Father is separated from the Son, and that's just not possible. And yet, God in his mercy and grace, his bountiful giving to us, his saving grace, he separates himself from the Son. Ephesians 3.16 says, that he may give you according to the riches of his glory. Now that's a passage that's introducing one of the greatest prayers. Some people think the greatest prayer in all the Bible. It talks about that you might know the love of God, the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of it. But again, begins with those words that he might give out of his bountiful, uh, bountiful supply to you. When I was coming home from the cottage, I passed this warehouse. It's not one warehouse, actually. It's two warehouses. It's enormous. Brand new. Hasn't been there very long. It's called Amazon. And if you get there at just the right time, all these little gray trucks are leaving. It's like, it's like a camel caravan, you know, coming out from the, the, the parking lot there. And, and you wonder how they can have so much stuff that they need warehouses that large. I want you to think about God's warehouse. That's just a drop in the bucket compared to what God has. You know, Andrew Carnegie became the richest man in the world because he captured the market on steel. And then as he got older and he sold the company and so on, he decided to give it all away. And people were quite amazed about that. He developed quite a reputation. I used to go down to the Carnegie Library in Duluth, Minnesota, where I grew up. And I liked to go down there because I like books, but not just because I like books. All of the floors were made out of glass. And that just was interesting to me because you could look down you know, as you're walking. It just seemed kind of interesting to me. That's what Carnegie did. And people were absolutely amazed at his Big heart, his generosity. Think about your God. Think about his big heart, his generosity. What he has given to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. I went to Presbytery a week and a half ago, and at Presbytery, they said, Paul, tell us what's going on, you know, and even though I am a little bit advanced of age, I actually got more jobs now than I've ever had. I don't know why. And uh, my children think I should retire someday, but uh, it, it's fun to work and, and, and so on. But I didn't tell them about all the stuff I was doing. I just told them about the faith that God has given to my family, my five children. I had, and that's a blessing right there. I had three children. I married Sandy. I got two more. And, and, and her her boys, who are actually older, she's younger than me by a big a lot. Well, not really a lot, but a little bit. But her, but her children are older than mine because she got married younger than me. And her children are really smart. The IQ of my 
composite, uh, composite IQ of my children has, has tripled since I married Sandy, you know. Yeah, I mean, one of her children is, uh, is the, um, he's, in, he's in charge of mechanical testing for NASA. And he calls me dad. He calls me dad. What a blessing. The blessings that God gives us. If your children come to faith, what a blessing that is. If you have faith, what a blessing that is. Do you see what a cheerful giver God is to you? And he never quits. I don't care where you are in life. It only gets better. Because we're always looking to heaven. That's always the promise. As we've heard again in the service, he went to prepare a place for us. Do you ever think about what that place must be like? How great that must be? He went to prepare a place for us. And if he, go, if he went to prepare a place for you, come again and receive us unto himself, that where he is, we will be also. So I want you to think about the joy of being like God. Saw a study not long ago that said generous people are more happy than people who are not generous. Duh. I mean, if you've gotten anything out of this sermon so far, you ought to know why, right? Because you were made to be generous. You were made to be like your creator. That's the whole point. You know, by the way, that was in the Journal of Nature magazine. We are created in God's image and we were made to be like him. And we were not only created to be like him, we are now being saved to be like him. It's kind of like our new birth. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he's at work in your life. And remember, he has rescued you from this evil age. The worst thing about the evil age is you, self, and God has delivered you from self. And one of the ways we do that is being good stewards. We're not to give reluctantly. We're not to give out of necessity. Why? Because our relationship with God is never one of works. It's never one of duty. It's never one of ought. We always come to God out of what he has done for us, never what we have done for him. If you get that mixed up, you lose the gospel completely. If you think you work so that you can come to God, you've lost it. No, you come to God so that you can work. Works always follow salvation. When you come to God, there's only two things that you bring to him. Your need and nothing. And the problem is most people don't have nothing. They're convinced they've got something they can bring to God. But no, we are saved and we're saved out of the gracious, abundant mercy of God. And so when we give, we don't give because there's any merit in it. We give because of what God has done for us. Through giving, we actually live the gospel. You see that? We actually live the gospel. Because we give because we want to give. 
We give because of the joy of giving. Over in chapter 8 and the first uh, seven verses there, there's a story about the churches of Macedonia. And Paul uses them as an example to help them to understand what he's talking about. Now, if you read this story, it's going to blow you away. Because it says that these Macedonians in verse 2, that they have, that they're giving out of their great impoverishment. Actually, the, the, the Greek is their extreme poverty. It says they give. And then it goes on to say in verse 4, that not only did they give out of their impoverishment, but then they begged to give more. Now, why in the world would they give like that? Well, it goes on to say that this is not a man, but this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see that? They're giving out of the will of God, not out of their own will. They're giving out of what God has done in their life, not what they're trying to do on their own. Believers give joyfully because they have given themselves to Christ. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36 and following, there is a story about a sinner, a a woman who's a, a great sinner. I don't need to tell you what her problem is, you know, if you've read the Bible at all. And they brought her in, you know, and and uh, and um, and they were they were not very impressed with her. But she she took some valuable perfume that she had, and she she poured it on Jesus' feet, and she washed his feet, and so on. And that just made the disciples disgusted. For one thing, that was unsightly for a woman to do that. But secondly, she was wasting a lot of money. And then he tells a story. He said, listen, there was a man that had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 denarii. It's a very short parable. And uh, he forgave them both. Peter, Peter, who do you think loved him more? And Peter says, I expect the man that was forgiven 500 denarii. And Jesus said, you've guessed rightly. What point was he trying to make? He was trying to make the point that when you understand what God has done for you, how great his mercy and grace is for you, you can't help but want to give. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see how that works? I live a life of faith because I live in the one who gave himself for me. That's the foundation of our giving. Thirdly, there's a joyful, that joyful giving produces great reward. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is not a health and wealth message. Not at all. Um... If you give a lot to the church, there's no promise in the Bible you're going to get a ton back. I I knew a man that went around preaching like that. If you give a lot, God will give you more back. It was a way to get rich. I know another man that went into business with God said that I will give you 50% of all that I make. I knew this man quite well. And it started out just great. He got into real estate. He was selling houses and so on. And if he made a 
a $2,000 commission. He'd give 1000 to God, and he would keep 1000 for himself. And then he became quite successful, and he sold a big apartment building, got a ton of money. <laughs> it was just too much to let go. You know, 50% of that just seemed too much. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. No, we're not talking about health and wealth. In fact, Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9 said, Don't give me too much lest I forget you, but don't give me too little lest I steal. What then is the promised reward that God gives us um, through our stewardship? What do we get that uh, is such a blessing? Very simple. You get him. You get God. What God promises is himself, a deeper personal relationship with God. And what is more valuable than that? Would you rather have material things or would you rather have God in your life? Which one would you want to have? If you choose this, you're choosing dirt over gold. This is what it's all about. You were made for God. And one of the ways that we deepen in that relationship with God is by taking seriously the stewardship. That's why it says God loves a cheerful giver. It's why Jesus speaks so much about material things. Material things have a greater impact on our spiritual life than we think. That's why Paul uses the example of the Macedonians I've just told you about. He's trying to show you that their relationship with Jesus meant so much to them that they were willing to give to people that were hurting even when they were hurting because of what God had done for them. You see, joyful stewardship is used by the Holy Spirit. Joyful stewardship is used by the Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts towards Christ. So maybe we don't know how to give joyfully because we've never experienced the love of Christ like we should. Or maybe it's because we're too much in love with this world. Luke 16, 13, Christ himself said, you can't love God and money at the same time. And Paul in Philippians 3, talking about his own pedigree, he says, let me tell you something. If you think you've got something to brag about, I've got more to brag about than you've got. It's quite a testimony when you think about it, right? If you think you're great, I'm better than you are. Oh, but then he says, but I give it all up. In fact, I consider nothing but garbage. That's the, that's the actual kind of interpretation. It's actually worse than that, but I'll just use garbage today. I count it all garbage that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that I might experience the resurrection from the dead. He's not talking about when you die and are resurrected. He is talking about you now experiencing the resurrected life in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit has come to live in you. But you've got to let go if you're going to grab a hold. When you come to Christ, what is, what is the formula? Repent and believe. Repentance is nothing but turning towards God, and faith is nothing but grabbing a hold of God. There is no other greater joy than being in the will of God. There's no other greater joy than loving God more, of loving the things of God more than the things of this world. You know, Satan tried that trick with, with Jesus. Do you remember that in, the, in, the, in Matthew chapter 4? It's a temptation in the, in the desert. And, and first of all, he says, turn these rocks to bread. And then he, 
then he says, cast yourself all the temple, and that didn't work. So then he pulls out the big, the big ammunition. He says, look, all of the treasures of the world, everything that exists, I will give that to you if you bow down and worship me. But you see, Jesus, the Son, already knew the Father. And he knew the, fa- knew the value of the Father. He was not going to fall for that sorry trick of Satan. What were his words? You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That's what we're talking about when we talk about stewardship, happy stewardship. I don't want you to leave here thinking, i got to do better with my stewardship. I want you to leave here thinking, man, I want the joy that comes through taking seriously the stewardship responsibilities that God has given me in the Lord Jesus Christ. I will give you five practical ideas very quickly uh, that, and I gave you these last time I preached on this subject here, but they're the ones that I use, so I'll give them to you again. First of all, have a yearly plan. And uh, we do that, and it helps us. By the way, and I'll say this again, uh, well, I'll say it later. Secondly, pray for opportunities to give. And they may not all be tax deductible. Thirdly, Make giving part of your worship. I love that. I saw it in the bulletin. Worship, uh, giving is an act of worship. It ought to be there. I, I'm, I'm the interim pastor now in a little church, and we don't even have an offering. I'm trying to bring them along. But somehow they got the idea, if you have an offering in church, kind of cheapen the worship. What a sad idea. I'll get to them. Um, and then have an accountability partner. Have accountability partner. Now, in this case, that's my wife. And uh, um, listen, uh, because of the fifth idea, I was giving away more money than she was, but she's far more benevolent than I am, so she's in charge of our giving. And I already told you, you have a yearly plan, but we don't stick to it. She always gives more than is our plan. But that's why I've got her in charge, because I'm a Dutchman, I'm cheap as can be, you know, I'm going to hang on to it if I can, She's going to give it away if she can. And uh, so it's good to have an accountability partner. I often say this. If you're single, you don't, you're not married, uh, then call the preacher up and say you'd like to talk about your stewardship. And like Dr. Barker, he'll drop over on the floor because nobody's ever asked him that. And fi- fifthly, and this is what's made a huge difference in our life, it's what I call compound giving. You know what compound interest is, Okay. Compound giving is you give a little bit more this year than you gave last year. If you live to be as old as I am, you will be surprised. (laughs) But here's the interesting thing. We've never run short. By the way, it wouldn't bother me. If we ran short, we wouldn't, you know, God's not going to hold you to it. I mean, you know, he's not going to bunk you one. He's not going to dun you uh, anything like that. He's not going to send you a past due notice or anything like that. But we never have. We never have. We get a little more than last year, and it just keeps going, and we have enough. And it's a great joy. So I end then with this story. You can read it. It's been around for a long time, but it's about a missionary, Presbyterian missionary to Thailand named Dr. Hugh McKean. And when he would go around and talk to churches sometimes about stewardship, he'd talk about the 400-member church of which he was a pastor in Thailand. And he would say, let me tell you about these people. They live on 20 cents a week. 
and rice, 20 cents a week and rice. And yet, they pay for their own pastor, which was unusual in that country. They have sent two missionaries to other parts of Thailand. They help the poor. And everyone in their church, everyone in their church ties. And they do it with such joy. You can tell they really know Christ. And then he would say, oh, and by the way, did I tell you that I pastor a church for lepers? They're all lepers. They're all like the church in Macedonia. And they're all cheerful givers because they're becoming like their cheerful giving God who's given us everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again, you have said that you love a cheerful giver. And we have seen that's because you yourself are a cheerful giver. And you do want us to be like you. You created us to be like you. You are recreating us in Christ to be like you. Will you take these words these ideas, and use them in our hearts so that we go away from here not thinking, oh, stewardship, what a duty. I've got to give 10%, whatever. Let us go away of here thinking, wow, what a pleasure, what a gift, what an opportunity to give. Let us be like you, Father. We pray to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.